When I wake up in the morning, give me Jesus. I put my feet on the floor, give me Jesus. When I come into his house, give me Jesus. Today we celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. We celebrate the nation's independence and freedom from oppression. The preamble of the Constitution says this, that we hold these truths to be self-evidence, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, many will gather today and they will enjoy the day together with their family. We kind of asked this question in our Sunday school class, what would be some traditions that you hold on 4th of July? And some said, we like to cook out, we get together with family. And some today will, will no doubt cook out and enjoy their family. Some might even observe some fireworks. And if you do so, I advise you to put your dog up, please. I don't know any dog that likes fireworks. And we will enjoy the freedoms that we have as Americans. And we are thankful for God's sovereignty that He has given us this freedom we have in His sovereignty, in His infinite wisdom. He has given us a certain amount of inalienable rights. And so we should thank God every day for the country that we live in. But then, to not squander away our rights, to not squander away our freedoms, to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this country, in this nation, we have more freedoms than anywhere else in the world to speak freely the name of Jesus. You might say, preacher, well, what is freedom? And the right answer to this would be the ability or right to act out or to communicate or believe as one wants without interference or restriction. And I am sorry to say, but today I think some folks have squandered away that freedom and have taken it for granted, the freedom that we have. Another way of thinking of freedom can be summed up as such. The capacity of self-determination ascribed to the will, the value of being independent of fate or necessity. And now those are descriptions of freedom that we might have today as Autonomous people or autonomous nation, we answer to ourselves, right? The Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, these things that are integral and that are core to who we are as people. But let me ask you this, what does freedom look like in terms of being free in Christ? What does freedom look like? What does it look like to be free in Christ? And I'm hoping right now that your wheels are turning a little bit and you're saying to yourself, well, you know what? I know there are some Bible verses that talk about being free, 
We sang about one of those this morning, being free in Christ, that the Son has set you free. You are free indeed. I want you to listen to this, y'all. Listen to this and rejoice. Romans 8 and verse 1, one of the most beloved theological treatises in the Bible. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Let me read that part again. I want somebody to say amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whereas sin brings death, Christ has set you free. And if you are His, and if you are in Christ, then I must challenge you today that we are not to dip back into the old ways. We're changed. Christ died so that you can be truly liberated and free from the trappings of sin. That is why Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. I am, I am amazed at how many Christ followers today are not standing firm in the Word of God. You hear about it in the news. Church after church and denomination after denomination have begun to compromise the truth and have fallen away of standing firm in the freedom of, in Christ and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Get away from that old man. Get away from the way that we used to be because Christ has liberated us from that. And, and all the while we are servants to righteousness and not sin. And this is the reason that John can write in John chapter 8, verse 32, saying, you will know the truth and the truth will set you Free. And upon that rock, that proclamation, I will ask you, if you will, once again, if you will stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, these three verses before us today, not very long verses, a sermon that I have entitled Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Jesus. Beginning in Mark 12, verse 35, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies under your feet. And David calls, uh, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the glad throng heard him gladly. Lord, we ask you to bless the reading of that word. God, you will open our ears. Lord, today as we celebrate our nation's independence, that we will likewise reflect on who we are in Christ and submit to your Lordship. Lord, we just pray today that as your word goes forward and your challenges go forward, Lord, that we, every one of us, we have painted ourselves in this picture. Lord, you love us and you challenge us because you want us to grow and the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You want us to grow in who we are in Christ. You want us to grow and understand that we are free. Free from sin. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And you may be seated. Again, today's sermon is entitled, 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of Jesus. And I would imagine that, you know how they say there's no original thoughts, and I'm kind of a, I agree with that. Anything, any original thought that you might think that you have on the Bible, go and find some theologian and you will probably find it scribed in a page somewhere. And I would imagine that the sermon title, Life and Liberty in the Pursuit of Jesus, has been preached somewhere else in some other church, and I would not no doubt, I would not doubt that at all. But I want us to examine these elements throughout this sermon, and I want us to, again, ask this question, and I'll ask you now, has the Son set you free? And if so, will you live for Him? What does it mean to live for Him? And what does it mean to subject oneself under the Lordship of Jesus? See, last week we noticed how Jesus had responded to the scribes, this particular scribe's question, who, who asked and said, what is the greatest commandment, Lord? And I believe that this scribe really wanted to know. He was sincerely seeking the Lord. We can, we can probably add an alliteration in there. He was sincerely seeking the Savior. And he was seeking out, what is the greatest commandment? And out of the, out of the moral law of the Ten Commandments, what we might call in, in theological circles, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, out of the Ten Commandments, out of the civil law to love your neighbor as yourself, out of the ceremonial law, rightful worship, out of the law of God, what is the greatest commandments of all? All of the law of God. All of the God-given law can be summed up in loving the Lord your God with all of your being and then to love your neighbor as yourself. For the Hebrew, this was a radical way of thinking because it meant that they were to love the Gentile like they loved themselves. See, it's easy to say, I love the Lord. But actions soon follow if one's devotion on that love is just cheap talk. I love the Lord. And how do we know that? How do we know that it's cheap talk? If you do not love your neighbor as yourself, your love for God is not as high as what you might think. So, to love God and worship Him enables me, moves me to love others. Now, I know that one of the most loving things that I can do is to help someone understand that they are a sinner. They're lost or broken, as somebody did to me. They preached the gospel to me, and I understood that I was broken. One of the most loving things that you can do is to say, you are in sin, you are in need of a Savior. Loving God with all that we have, loving Christ Worshiping Him moves us to love one another. So let's examine this life, liberty, and the pursuit of Jesus. I submit to you that true life is found in the Son of God. See, this is the time of year where folks will go on vacation and they'll enjoy vacation. And that's good to get away. I enjoy that myself, being able to get away and to recoil a little bit, to relax and unwind a little bit. And some might even say, hey, you're at the beach. You're really living it up. But I would submit to you that true life, true living, isn't found in the trappings of this world, although some of the things that we enjoy are good. True life is in Christ. 
there were some misconceptions about the Messiah in these days. And I submit to you, and I shared a few of these last week, that there are misconceptions about the Messiah today. And one of those things is that, let me help you understand this, that Jesus is not going to lead the armies of America into victory. And we would even say that Jesus is not American. There's misconceptions about Messiah amongst those in Israel, and there are misconceptions today. And for the longest time, for the longest time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and scribes looked for Messiah to be an anointed warrior king. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. He spoke these words. He said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they were all listening to the Lord Jesus and his response. And he was teaching. And, and, and this is the point where the Lord asks, How can the scribes say that, that Christ is the son of David? Or to say that how can they say that Christ is only the son of David? How could they suggest that he was only a son, merely the son of David? When it says that he was David's Lord as well. See, because their understanding of Messiah was carnal. It was, it was, they were blinded. It was a fleshly way of thinking about it. And Jesus taught accurately. He accurately depicted the ministry of Messiah. The true nature of the anointed one is not, to, is not a mere son stemming from the lineage of David, was, but was the only begotten, unique son that will bring salvation, justification, and liberty to those that are bound in sin. And there are plenty of passages that demonstrate Messiah would come from the line of David. And there are verses. In fact, 2 Samuel 7, 12 says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish your kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so that is prophetic. And yes, it did happen. Yes, Jesus, from the line of David. And in this, we realize the incarnation of the Son of God. That in a lowly stable, that our Lord Jesus would robe himself in flesh. It was prophesied. But Jesus is tearing down these notions, these false notions of who he is. Some of those today would be, I, I can think of a prominent teaching that would say that Jesus is nothing, was nothing more than a good man. You ever heard that? Or a good teacher. Jesus was nothing more than a good teacher in history. And this was a very common belief in there, during the ages when the church really fought against liberalism in, in theological sense, liberalism, which just simply meant that they didn't believe the miracles in the Bible and didn't believe the in, in the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. And this was a common mantra that Jesus was just a good man and he taught a lot of good things. He was a good person. They would say, yes, Jesus spoke a lot of good philosophies. Jesus was a philosopher. But he was not the son of God, they would say. Simply put, he was just a good man. 
There, there was an article that was printed that was entitled uh, saying uh, false ideas about Christ, and this was by Wayne Jackson. And Jackson shares this information. He passes this along as uh, he gives the example of one Steve Allen. Steve Allen, the entertainer from the 1950s, wrote two brutal attacks against the Bible. Though he, he would uh, attempt to tear down uh, Scripture and the inerrancy of the Word and the infallibility of the Word, he, he would utterly repudiate the proposition that Jesus of Nazareth was a divine being. Here is what he said about Jesus our Lord. He said, amongst human heroes, Jesus is supreme. For he not only preached, but apparently demonstrated the virtues of compassion, charity, love, courage, faith, and intelligence. He said that Christ approached the idea of perfection more closely than anything else or anyone else who ever lived. Where do you think that you get to understand about the nature of Christ? Where do we get our understanding of who Jesus is? We get it from the Word. So how can you in one breath say that, gee, that the Word of God is, is, there's a deficit in the Word, that it is, it is not inspired, that it's just a collection of words and books and myths and legends, and then in the next breath say that the Jesus that is encapsulated in the Word is just simply a good man. You have to take everything that we know about Jesus from the New Testament. You can't have your cake and eat it too. He would utterly bash the Bible and yet lift up Jesus. How can this be so? How can this be? It's absolutely illogical. No one knows anything about the person of Jesus and his ministry except for what we learn in the New Testament. We are dependent on the Word of God. But I will go on to say that our Lord Jesus was more than just a good man, more than just a good teacher. In fact, there is sufficient scriptural evidence that Christ claimed that he was more than a good man. He said that he was from heaven in John 8, verses 48 through 51. He said that he, he proclaimed that he was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter at Caesarea said this about our Lord. And yes, the Lord Jesus affirmed this in Matthew 16. He said that he shared the, name, the same nature as the Father. John 10, verse, uh, verse 30, and John 8. The Father and I are one. And if the Lord Jesus was not the Son of God, listen, he lied about that matter. And if he lied, he did so consistently and continually, and he deceived the multitudes. He would have led many to sacrifice their very lives and their beliefs, believing that he was divine. How can anyone who reads the Bible and is a student of the word say that he was simply just a good man? In fact, I think of this often, the classic trilemma of C.S. Lewis that made popular that Jesus is either Lord, lunatic, or he is a liar. He is either who he says that he is by him being Lord, he's either lied or he's off his rocker. 
And I will submit to you that the Lord Jesus Christ in His glory, in His power has proven that He is indeed Lord by the resurrection. And therefore, He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? But not only do we find that we have life and true life only in Christ, we find that we have true liberty found under the Lordship of Christ. And here is where we begin to unpack what the Lordship of Christ looks like in our life. And i got to tell you, there is something liberating about subjecting all of life's hardships to the direction and Lordship of Jesus. There's just something about giving it to God. You've heard that phrase? Let's give it to God. Let Him have it. Put it in His hands. Let Him have it. It is something liberating about that, to to fall under the Lordship of Christ, because I find myself too many times trying to grip on to something that I should relinquish and give to God. There has been some nights when I would toss and turn and couldn't sleep when I simply could have just gave it to Him. And here is what we find ourselves doing. We hold on to those things. And we say, Lord, if you could just get rid of this thing out of my life, this hardship. I'm going to tell you a secret, and you probably know this. The Lord doesn't take our hardships away. But He walks through them with us. He'll see us through them. And I would say the biggest hardship that we face today comes with living with the stain of sin still present. And yet Jesus came to wash the sinner clean and to liberate. See, the triumphant Jesus, He is trustworthy. Do you believe that? Jesus is trustworthy to place all things under His feet. Meaning that he is the conqueror and all enemies of righteousness tremble at the name of Jesus. All enemies of darkness, all demons, all those that are antagonistic to the gospel, all those who hate the name of Jesus very well will tremble at his name. So all enemies of of righteousness one day will have to face the wrath. That's a scary thought. David says this, Jesus says this of King David. He said, in the Holy Spirit declared, this is what David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under under your feet. So now Jesus is affirming the authorship of David. He is affirming the Psalms. So we don't need critical theory to say, did David write this psalm? Well, Jesus certainly believed that David wrote it, didn't he? Referring to Psalm 110 that, that says the very same thing. The Lord said to my, uh, said to my Lord, said to my right hand, till I put your enemies under your feet. It is to highlight the truth that the Son of God or Messiah is more than just a son of David, but truly is Lord of all. And see, what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to get them to see that Messiah is so much more than a son from the line of David. In fact, the passage says this, that God the Father said to Christ when being risen from the dead that He ascended on high, He sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished, right? The work of salvation is finished. 
The substitutionary atonement offered by Christ himself is finished. He sat down at the right hand and having done the work of man's salvation, then subjected all enemies defeated. It's good as done. We sing victory in Jesus every homecoming. This is victory in Jesus. That all enemies are put under his feet. All principalities, all powers of darkness are put under the feet of Jesus. So yes, because Jesus is king of all and ruling over all, and because all enemies are under his feet, we can trust him and submit to his lordship. This is a lesson, I believe, that is so slow learned today by you and I and by many over the centuries. There are so many things in this world and in our lives that we don't give to Christ, that we hold on to, and it causes us worry and anxiety, and we get eat up with it. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says, When Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, He sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. He is Lord and Lord of all. In fact, the Greek word for Lord is used sometimes in Scripture to indicate an honorary title. It's like saying Lord or or like saying Sir. But on the other hand, there are places in Scripture where Lord would be translated from the word Adonai. Adonai would be Lord, or to say Supreme Lord. Or could be an almost unutterable name of God. And the substitute for Yahweh, which would be the unpronounceable God, or the unpronounceable name that Hebrews would never utter. They would say Adonai. They would not pronounce the Yahweh. They would not say this name. They would say, they would say Adonai is to say Lord. And so it is in this sense that Christ is the Lord of all. He's the Lord of lords and he is the Lord God. Lord in the sense in which God alone can be Lord. God alone can have dominion and God alone can be holy. This is the reason, may I remind you, that no one can call him Lord unless the Holy Spirit lead him to call him Lord. No one can confess that he is Lord unless by the Holy Spirit. It is a confession which implies the apprehension of the glory of God as it shines in him. Charles Hodges says, It is an acknowledgement that he is God manifest in the flesh. Blessed are all who make this acknowledgement with sincerity, for flesh and blood cannot reveal the truth Therein confessed, but only the Father who is in heaven. And I can tell you this, speaking of the Lordship of Christ, personally, I can tell you this, for, for, for a Christ follower who has not submitted to the Lordship of Christ over their life, I can tell you that you are on the verge or you're on your way to being one miserable person. I was there. And if that's you this morning, you're there as well. What does the Lordship of Christ look like in one's life? We would say because He is Lord, He deserves our total obedience, doesn't He? Because He is Lord, He is worthy of all of our service. 
and He is worthy of our praise, and it is commanded for us to serve Him. At any local church that is true to the Word of God, whether it be in small group, Sunday school, the pulpit, whatever it might be, any Bible-believing, Christ-centered church, A church like that should not have to... I want you to hear me on this, okay? That church should not have to scrape and scrounge for people to serve. And I think of it this way. Sometimes it's best to get out of the Burger King mentality of church and know that we are not going to have everything our way Like a double whopper stacked with extra cheese? No. You don't like everything and how it's ran in the church? Let me remind you. We are not here to worship one another. We are here to worship Jesus. And I have to remind myself of this all the time. Sometimes I need to get over myself. I need to get over myself and fall in love with Christ again. As people who are born again in the image of Christ, we, are, we were created and we were designed for service. And so lordship would be following Him. It would be not following the schemes of man or our own preferences. I begin to think about preferences. I want you to listen to this secret. And maybe it's not a secret. I come to realize this. If you're under the Lordship of Christ, His preferences become your preferences. His preferences, imperatives, become your preferences. Then, as we serve the Lord, we pursue Him more. This is the pursuit of Jesus. To follow Him more and more, and then to be conformed to his image. Listen to these la- this last verse from verse 37. David called him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. See, Jesus is more than just the son of David. Prophetically speaking, yes. But more. He is Lord of all creation. And the Bible says that they heard it gladly. And I know I spoke some hard words this morning. And sometimes we need it. We need it. I need it. But I want you to know this. I'm like, I'm like Bob Ross this morning. Instead of a happy tree here, a happy tree over here, I plant myself. I paint myself in that challenge. And I hope you do too. There are moments in my life, even today, where I struggle with the Lordship of Christ. And I know that you are there as well. Today, we celebrate our nation's independence. We celebrate the freedom that we have. I'm glad that we live in a place where we can worship freely. I'm glad that we live in a place where we can worship Jesus on a Sunday morning without fear of persecution. And I would be the first to say, God bless the USA. I would be the first to tell you that. 
But I will also say this, that God is not going to bless a place where sin is running amok and his own people are cold and complacent towards serving and spreading the gospel. He is not going to bless a sinful place. And so may we serve the Lord Jesus with the same fervor that we have for this nation. If we are more moved by the Pledge of Allegiance or the star-spangled banner than we are of the deep grace of the Lord Jesus, then our Lordship, I believe, is distorted. The Lordship of Christ is distorted. Listen, somebody might even say this. Preacher, you say this every week. You say it every week that we need to be saved and that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. You you share this gospel every week and we know it. We know it, preacher. But yet if I was to stand this morning and pledge allegiance to the flag, you would say we need to do that every Sunday. We need the gospel every Sunday. And if I think that the Lord is coming to lead the armies of this nation, I would be sadly mistaken. To change a nation, the hearts need to be changed first. It doesn't matter what I put on Facebook or social media. I could post something on Instagram tomorrow against a politician. And I can tell you how much effect that has on the world. Zero. I'm going to give you an example of this. I, I forgot who it was that shared this last week. It might have been, it might have been Mr. Randy who shared this last week. Uh, he was, I think it was Randy who shared this, so forgive me if, 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 if it's not you, Randy. But it, the story was this. They were in New Bern, and they had gathered out to pray, and they were in a circle. And somebody drove up and saw them praying, and they came on with this group and laid their hand and began to pray with them. Come to find out, this woman was, uh, she was part of the, the uh, part of Newburn, as far as government or whatever it might be. That's how you change this nation. That's how you change the people. You change the heart of the people. At the end of the day, what I post on social media is just my opinion, and it does nothing. If we want to change this nation, We stand for what is true, what is right. And as the song is, we keep on the firing line. We keep on the firing line. Is he Lord to you? If so, let me ask you this. Would you step into the gaps and serve the king today? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of Jesus. Are you pursuing him? I hope and pray you are. In fact, let's pray together.